Today's guest on No Truths Barred is Iman Shabazz. Iman Shabazz is a poet, political activist, and historian. Iman has been a political activist in the Richmond area for over 30 years. He has been a key figure in fighting against the system of mass incarceration, racist housing policies, and other various forms of systemic oppression. Today, Iman shares his views on African history. He shares his views on what actually black people need to do to come together and improve their conditions here in this country. Check out today's episode and make sure you listen, like, share, and subscribe. Thank you. guest that I have on today. Uh, this is a brother that I've known for many years. I've seen some of his activism, his poetry, uh, even his rapping abilities firsthand, and many, many more uh, other endeavors that he's involved in. And the brother I have on today is brother Iman Shabazz. And so I'll go ahead and, and give you guys his bio just to kind of give you a synopsis um, of, of his background. And then I'll let him go ahead and add a little bit more on as well. Uh, this is the uh, official, the official, official biographical, bi biographical sketch of Brother Iman Shabazz. So uh, before anything, Iman Shabazz is a son, an elder, brother, uncle, cousin, friend, and Baba to many Watakso of the family and communities to which he belongs. Among many hats, he is the policy advisor for community engagement and reform initiatives in the Office of Community of the Commonwealth's Attorney for the City of Richmond. He also offers consulting services as the founder and CEO of Maximum Impact LLC. Iman bears several certifications to train and facilitate a host of interventions, public health strategies, and other programs to include emotional emancipation healing circles, the Alternatives to Balance Project, mental health first aid for adults, and creative conflict resolution. Iman has been a community activist and organizer since his early high school years and has given exceptional service to various community-based organizations working to alleviate the suffering of oppressed persons globally. From appearing on CNN's American Morning to local news media to his own live call-in television show, Fighting for Freedom, Iman has been an incessant voice of education, awareness, and organization in the face of racial and social injustices. He is often sought after for his delivering keynote addresses, seminars, and workshops on such topics as dismantling uh, systems of oppression, African history, undoing racism and sexism, as well as community responses to national and international issues. Iman stays active as he's found a deep-rooted love 
for mountain climbing, skydiving. Oh, that's really dope. I want to try that one day. Uh, swimming, biking, and martial arts. He welcomes anyone who wishes to step up to the challenge of a friendly yet highly competitive game of Scrabble. Okay. Whether he has, uh, whether he's seen as a Pan-African thought leader, restorative justice practitioner, activist, actor, MC, dancer, or poet, he seeks to use his talent and experience as a tool for liberation and healing. It is Iman's desire to build a free and just world for all humanity. Powerful uh, intro. And I'll definitely like, if there's anything else you'd like to add on, uh, just about yourself, brother, because, you know, you're definitely one of the uh, key powerful figures in this city. And definitely uh, add on. Uh, well, brother, I, I appreciate and I'm very humbled uh, by your introduction. If I'd have known you were going to read all of that, I would have been through four sentences. I, <laughs> I think that, you know, I. In terms of things to add, I really don't want to add much of anything. I think that hopefully through our dialogue, uh, it'll give folks enough information to be able to know who I am. If they're not familiar with who I am or my work already, uh, I'd, I'd like to say the only things that I think that are primary of primary importance to me in terms of what you've read from the bio are those first couple of sentences. My relationship to family and community is primary for me. It's, it's everything that's of importance. Uh, all of the other accolades or anything else that I've, I've achieved uh, are happenstance, which in, in my opinion is secondary, because I could easily be doing something counterproductive and reactionary as opposed to the things that I've been fortunate enough to be able to accomplish. So um, when I introduce myself, I think that it's important for others to understand uh, that it's our connection to family, it's our connection to the community, and it's our connection to the people that, that, are, that are most important. And if we're not utilizing our knowledge, skills, and information to be able to enhance the conditions of our people in that regard, then all the rest of it means nothing. That's the indeed, indeed. And um, I agree with that. It's, it's how do we use all of these resources to the edification of ourselves, our community, and I definitely concur. Uh, but what I want to ask you is that one of the things in your bio and just me knowing you is that uh, you're extremely astute and knowledgeable with African history, whether it's here in uh, North America or other parts of the diaspora or on the continent of Africa as well. And what I wanna ask you is, what was that initial catalyst that caused you to wanna go and study our history and our circumstances? And then my follow-up to that particular question is, was it your study of African history that also led to your path into activism as well? Okay, so I, I'm going to come at answering that from two angles if possible, uh, and if that's allowed. The, 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 the catalyst, if you will, or the um, uh, impetus for me studying about our people, and if you don't mind, I'm going to expand the context of studying African history to just Please study do. about yeah. people in general, because that, that I think is, is, is what's important uh, when we try to find resolution to some of the issues that we face. We really have to understand the ways of our people, uh, certainly in the dream. What is actually about people in the present context? So I, I, my initial, or my emphasis, if you will, for uh, going, going along a path to that uh, really kind of starts in our DNA. <laughs> it starts in the resistance of African people that resides in us, whether dormant or active, 
um, it, 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 it feeds our soul, it feeds our spirit, it feeds our behavior, our movement, our decisions. And so what made me open or receptive to the idea that I needed to learn more about my people was that DNA factor, if you will, or that, you know, what resides in our, the, the raging ancestors, if you will, in our chromosomes. But to put it in a much more, you know, um, practical context, uh, when I was in high school, we had an organization, if you want to call it that, uh, that called African Males, where there were two elder men, not, not that they were elders at the time, but they were our elders, you know, as, yeah. as young people and students, uh, who really kind of uh, spearheaded this notion that it was important for us to learn about who we were um, and what contributions we made as African people to society that would expand our, um, if you will, our, our imaginations around what we could contribute to the world and what we could contribute to our people. And I, I went to a high school that was supposedly for academic and creative excellence, if you will, and one of the phenomena that was occurring was that um, from my freshman year, my, my high school was pretty small, and so from my freshman year, what we found that of the students who were a part of this, again, this institution that was designed for academic excellence, the largest percentage of students that were failing were us, you know, young African boys. And so they understood the necessity to not only go back to tradition and assemble us, if you will, as a group of young men, but then to really start planting seeds uh, for our growth and development along the lines of, again, of, of, of really uh, becoming clearer about our identity and our contributions to the world. I would say that that was the emphasis. There were individuals in particular uh, who really, I guess, for other purposes, where things just kind of clicked for me, uh, where it made sense that not only did I need to understand our history and understand what that meant in terms of its current impact, but that I really understood that because we made such massive contributions to humanity and, and, and civilization, that it was important to go back and really understand, well, what were the, you know, what were the things that, that made those periods of history successful? What were the things that uh, could translate or, you know, be transferred in terms of knowledge and information from those time periods that we like to, you know, glorify so to speak so much? And, and, and how could we use that information to turn our circumstances around in the present context? And so to your latter point or your latter question, yes, I mean, once I, once it, we used to say back in the day, I don't know what the young people say that's equivalent to it now, but once I, get, once I got knowledge itself, you know, it was easy for me to, to, to see the, the path, if you will, that I needed to walk from that point. And so for me, it just became clear that everything for me had to be seen from an African-centered worldview. Everything had to be uh, rearranged, if you will, or deconstructed from what I was taught to that point in order for me to really be able to understand what it meant to liberate our people and what it meant to really be able to change the, the, the horrible conditions, if you will, under which our people find ourselves in, in the current. Mm, indeed. You kind of froze a little bit there. Hold on. Okay. Okay. All right. We're back. We're back. Um, and I, I, okay. the reason why I asked that question is because 
I like to know everybody's journey, you know, into, you know, what people would label as consciousness or being aware or culturally aware. Um, because for myself, just briefly, my introduction was through uh, my 10th grade history teacher. You know, I was in detention, uh, being a hardhead, like I shouldn't have doing things I didn't need to do. And he introduced me to the book, They Came Before Columbus. And I was like 15. And um, that book totally, it shifted my paradigm and my point of reference for a lot of stuff. Because a lot of times I went to George Webb. So if you go into these inner city schools, you're not really seeing yourself at the table of mathematics and architecture and science and medicine. And I would say the impetus for me to really start to study our people was through my, my 10th grade history teacher. And it really changed my life. And I look at studying our history as not just knowing or hoarding or accumulating information, but it's really life changing. And it leads people to become activists. It leads people to change their lives. It leads people to pursue certain careers. Um, and it's something Dr. Clark talked about. You know, a lot of his students not only went on to pursue history or be professors, but they also went on to become doctors, engineers, entrepreneurs. So we see the, the manifestation in African consciousness uh, on so many different levels. Uh, to my next point, I want to ask you about a brother that we you've mentioned a lot every time I've talked to you in the past, uh, a powerful scholar by the name of Dr. Amos Wilson. And Dr. Amos Wilson, the only book that I, I've really uh, got into by him, but he has several, is uh, Black Power, um, excuse me, Blueprint for Black Power. And one of the things that Dr. Amos Wilson always inculcates is the concept of an African identity. And when he speaks about the African identity, it almost seems that it's endemic to our solidarity and our health and our preponderance as a community. So what I want to ask to you, because you've mentioned this brother a lot um, in his writings, when you look at Dr. Amos Wilson and, and his writings, the teachings of Africa having, having and cultivating an African identity, how is that applicable to us as black people in 2021? And how could cultivating an African identity in this particular epoch that we're in, a bet in our healing process as a people. Well, okay, you said it. So brother, I, if, 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 again, if you'll allow me to uh, go back and fetch, if you will. Yes, sir, yes, sir. But you said a few seconds uh, where you concluded, excuse me, with the first question in order to come back to where you are now with the question you raised. Uh, I think that it all is, you know, it all ties together and is important. Uh, one of the things that Nana John Henry Clark left us with of the, of the millions of, 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 of axiom, axioms, excuse me, and um, uh, uh, the knowledge and information, if you will, that he left with us in and of itself, he also always stated that, you know, all history is a current event. Um, there's mm. to no extent to which anything happened, whether it was five minutes ago, 5,000 years ago, um, it all impacts what's happening to us in the current context. And so when we understand that, it becomes really important to see that, as you already alluded to, it, history isn't really just about going back and, and, and reading dates and events or, or even understanding relationships to the degree that you can in those period time periods. It's really about taking that information and then transferring the knowledge um, you know, really eliciting for what education should be, drawing out of ourselves uh, what's important for us in the current moment. 
And so in order to be able to resolve the issues of oppression, in order to be able to resolve the issues that we face in and of itself as African people, it becomes clear that in order to, under, in, in order to understand that history, we have to be clear about our identities. Um, and, and, you, and, and it's very interesting because we're in a time where you can get confused about what that means. Um, often, when I was growing up, uh, <laughs> I'm still growing up, but uh, when I was, let's just say, in my teens as a, as a younger, um, young, young man, we were struggling, you know, with, for example, just the, the utilization of the word African as opposed to black or any other term that is often used in, 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 in identifying our people. And what became very clear to me is, is that there's simply no point in history that we ever cease being an African people. Um, it all changed based on the aftermath, if you will, of colonialism and the colonial project, uh, whether we're talking about the captivity of our ancestors who were brought to this land and, and, and spread throughout um, to 122 different countries across the world, or if we're talking about um, uh, the, the uh, resurgence, if you will, of, of a positive assertion of certain terms within our various movements and, and our various struggles of, throughout the world, ultimately it becomes really important to be clear about where those identities lie. And so I, I became, I feel like, not early enough but nonetheless, at an early age, it, was, it became clear to me, excuse me, that um, I was an African man or uh, developing into an African man, and that has remained, if you will, my identity, you know, to this point. Uh, as we used to say, no hyphens, no hairstyles, no, you know, other contradictions. We're just African people, period. And, and we can debate about that when it becomes, uh, when it comes time, when we have re-empowered ourselves in order to be able to answer those questions about then what do we do with the land, with the resources, what do we produce, how do we, you know, develop, if you will, uh, the, the the totality of, of, of our functioning um, as a society, uh, we can then debate about those things. But for me, there's, there's no question about it. And so uh, understanding the African identity means more to me than just uh, going back and understanding tradition. That's the primary part of it. Uh, but as you alluded to with Dr. Amos Wilson, uh, he also used to talk about the reality that we, we can't stay stuck in the 13th century. Those things that we loved about ourselves as African people, mm -hmm. you know, that there definitely is a context for the present. I want to be really clear. Uh, the, the traditions, the rituals, the things that we engaged in worked for our people, and we need to understand how those things worked. Uh, the emphasis on family and the emphasis on how that family impacted the community or the society around us was what is it's extraordinarily important for us to understand in terms of turning our circumstances around in a present context. But we need to be clear that there's also a responsibility of development in terms of understanding what that identity is. And so, for you know, I, people have a, there are some people who may the stereotypes of what it means if someone calls themselves African. I happen to have locks. It may not look like it right now because my hair is braided and pulled back, but you know, I happen to have locks and I've had them since I was a teenager. However, it doesn't require that. We are African people by the very fact that, as I mentioned earlier on in this conversation, that in our DNA we possess uh, the elements that, that our ancestors transferred to us uh, in the spiritual context 
in the in the physical, if you will, context in terms of uh, the, the the transference, excuse me, of the material in those chromosomes and and what fuels our uh, development, personalities, and thinking in the moment. And so, for me to go into our community, into any of our communities, excuse me, today, uh, and 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 emphasize the importance of an African identity, really just means getting people to take the opportunity to really look at themselves and look within themselves and be clear about um, our purpose and, and develop, excuse me, be clear about developing a purpose and be clear about developing a sense of unanimity in terms of our interests. Not that we got to think the same way about everything or that everything has to, uh, everyone has to look and talk the same way, so to speak, and use the same language. But the reality is, is if we realize that we're being oppressed to a point where we don't have enough food, then we need to come together and be clear about the strategy for which we're going to obtain the food, whether it's, you know, what we, it doesn't matter, whatever strategy that we align ourselves with. And it's, the, it's, it's an alignment with that sense of identity that becomes important in the African context. So that's, 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 that's for lack of a better term, my 38,000 for Yeah, and, and, and one of a, a very, you know, poignant and astute point that you made is just to view our history as a continuum. You know, I think a lot of times when you study history, you look at things as being episodic. So it was like this period to this period represents Sunga, this period to this period represents Sakoto, or this period to re this period represents the Reconstruction. But a more a, a more accurate way to look at it is we're in a continuum where we're impacted by the past and we're continuing to form the future off of our actions today. Um, I want right, right, to, I guess, to expand upon that particular point. You know, uh, one of the things is I, I've read a, a, a quite a bit of work, like from uh, people like uh, Rupert Lewis, um, my other brother Tony Martin about Garvey, and sometimes you have this conversation with people about uh, is re repatriation still a thing that's practical? You know, now, um, what does it look like to reconnect with Africa, um, whether it be like in a, in a business sense? Uh, whether it be, you know, just kind of like from an ideological perspective, from a cultural perspective. Um, and one of the things I always argue is that we never lost that connection. We may not be able to recognize it, but we still are Africans, as you pointed out. So my question to you is, um, in 2021, uh, and this is kind of more on a global level, when people talk about like, hey, you know, how do we reestablish those connections with Africa, like currently on the ground? You know, and you have certain people that I know that have gone to Ghana and that have started businesses. Um, go over there to teach for different uh, other countries in Africa as well. Um, how important is it for us as Africans out in the diaspora to try to build those relationships and connect uh, with people on the continent now as it, as it relates to our own liberation here in the Western Hemisphere, in your opinion? Well... So, and I appreciate the fact that you started this conversation off with um, at least uh, raising Nana Garvey because it, it, his perspective becomes really clear when it comes to the reality of connecting the then and the now. Um, for me, I, I think that one of the things that's of primary importance for us to understand in terms of this connection is that in order to become re-empowered as a people, we have to really start answering questions about 
who owns and controls uh, the, as people call it, the means of production? Who owns and controls the way things are produced, uh, the resources that are used to produce the things that we use in our daily lives, and um, and and how that how that those things, excuse me, are distributed? Uh, when we're answering those questions, then we have to take a look at the reality that Africa has remained the richest continent on the planet. And unfortunately, uh, there's almost nowhere on the continent of Africa that the resources are not exploited. Uh, there's been an, an effort, people use the term capitalism, which, which I do as well, but just to try to make things uh, a, a bit more understandable, there's a global economic system that uh, takes uh, over and exploits people, their labor, and certainly the mineral resources of, of the continent to such an extent that for those of us particularly who live in this country, a lot of it is out of sight, out of mind. We don't even think about the level of exploitation that happens. We don't think about the lives that are lost in order to produce the comforts and the material things that we're so accustomed to and that for some of us, we would even argue that we can't live without at a present context. But trust me when I tell you there's absolutely nothing that exists in terms of um, uh, without African innovation, say that, and again, a material contribution, mm -hmm. um, you know, from our cell phones to the planes that fly in the air to uh, our, our understanding of, of navigation uh, of the of the ecology between you know, water systems and and even our navigation, if you will, in in the um, in the aero con in the in the um, the, the aero uh, excuse me, space context. We we have to be clear that when people are still allowed to take control of and uh, of the land, uh, particularly, you know, just using that in a broad context, then this continued exploitation of resources is not going to only continue to contribute to the impoverishment of African people on the continent, it will in turn play itself out in the existing impoverishment and disempowerment of African people throughout the world. As, as we used to say, anyone who's coming to and take control of your home, they can mistreat and disrespect you wherever they find you. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in, you know, as African people here. There is an unquestionable connection that we have to uh, realign ourselves with in terms of our, our, our connection to the continent. And in answering the question of repatriation, I think that you know, there's a global conversation, there's a global dialogue, if you will, that has to happen in relationship to that. It is not as, it's not, it, it, all of it is complex, unfortunately, because the dynamics of our oppression are complex. And so it isn't as simply answered as, well, I'm just going to go and take over some space. Uh, that, that removed history and the time frame from which we have been taken from various parts of the continent, and most of us that we don't even know where those parts are, uh, requires us to respect the uh, development, even even though it is also marred by colonialism and 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 and, and, and its own um, uh, ways of oppression of of of, of the, the former uh, colonialists, if you will, uh, colonizers. I'll say that uh, who who used who took their assumed power. We still have to go in with a measure of respect and understanding that. We have to redevelop these relationships. It's a, it's no it's really no different than the basic reality of if I grew up, which I did, uh, in the East End, 
and I decide to come over to the South Side, that I need to be clear about how things are, you know, how things run in the South Side. Like what 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 are some of the differences and what are the nuances about the South Side that I need to be aware of in order to be able to not offend or reoffend or to certainly not take myself in harm's way. And those are the kinds of things we'll have to struggle with. But from my vantage point, repatriation is, is a primary answer. I won't say it's the only answer, but it's absolutely a primary answer that we, we need to consider as African people and be clear that it's a struggle just like our daily struggle living here in this country at the present time. Yeah, and and you know, to that particular point, when you when you look at, you know, in, in my opinion, when you look at the Congo alone, I think it's valued where it's like $24 trillion worth of mineral wealth in the Congo alone. So we're not even talking about the other countries on the continent of Africa. And also another another part of that conversation is not only like the, the colonialism that we think about started under, you know, uh, Otto von Bismarck, advent of the Berlin Conference, but the neocolonialism that's happening right now. You know, I got into a conversation with a warlock brother from Senegal, and he actually was trying to argue that the, the to an extent the Chinese were like a um, a help sin, if you will, I guess to juxtapose Western powers and their influence in Africa. But, you know, as I started to do my own research, I started to see that's not really the case. You're starting to see a lot of the same exploitation um, go on that we, we complain about in the past. We're seeing assaults, murders uh, happen at the hand of, of the Chinese. Um, you usurping of government, you know, same thing like when I look at what happened to all those slightly different circumstances, what happened to people like Patrice Lumumba. Um, I want to ask you, I want to kind of stay on this topic a little bit longer. What is your opinion on the preponderance of China um, in Africa? Because to me, it just looks like more exploitation, more neocolonialism. I don't really see any benefits. Maybe there are, I just don't see any. No, 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 of course, because there aren't. I mean, in the final analysis, your, 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 your point is, is, is un, unquestionably correct. And, you know, Nana John Interclock told us this, uh, Nana Kwame Ture told us this, Nana Amos Wilson told us this, uh, Mama Marimba Ani tells us this. Uh, everyone, you know, has, has warned us of the reality that Africa has no permanent friends. Let's be, and, and, and I would even argue no friends, no real friends, period. There's no one, literally no one, who has come into our home or come into the African continent uh, for all relative purposes without their, without having developed, excuse me, an agenda to be able to uh, exploit and, 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 and damage, unfortunately, uh, the reality of our existence there. So, you know, the, the, the Asian uh, influx of, of, of um, the, the, this new part of the continuum of imperialism is no, is no exception. Uh, I think it's really interesting because we, we, we consider these relationships in a very um, limited lens, with very limited lenses. And I recall when I started to learn how the, the Chinese in particular started to really infiltrate certain um, areas within the continent and started developing these relationships where they were supplying weapons for really cheap. They were, you know, moving for all other purposes to help and I say very loosely, build infrastructure in certain spaces, again, for very cheap. 
And we look at what that has developed into now. There's an assumption, if you will, of the right to be able to own and, and exploit the same way that Europeans came in and did when they called themselves uh, uh, bringing some sense of civilization when you know they, 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 they um, uh, imposed uh, their, their will and they imposed uh, their interests as far as what they wanted to see develop in particular countries on the continent. So we have to be really, really careful with these relationships because I, I don't say that to be an extremist and I don't say that to sound, you know, just, you know, um, arrogantly exaggerated. But the reality is, is that we need to go back to a point of understanding that and at first and foremost, we need Ujiba and we need Umoja amongst African people mm. clearly before we start considering what our relationship is to the rest of the world. There's, there's, a, there's a, a context in which we struggle here in this country, and not just here, elsewhere um, as well, where folk believe or folk will say that, oh, we need to link with other people who are oppressed in this manner or that manner. And, and we recognize the history where at one point in time the Chinese were um, uh, oppressed in the same way that African people and, and other people uh, of, of you know, different ethnicities and nationalities have been oppressed throughout the world by Europeans. But let's be really clear, what they did was you know, certainly not uh, develop some sense of, of a revolutionary model through which they, they, they intended to contribute to that um, liberation, at those liberation efforts for others around the world. They, they organized themselves in a way to be able to continue the exploitation and for themselves to, at some point, even be able to take the, the position or the role uh, once held um, predominantly by Europeans. And, you, and this is what we see kind of happening in, a, in the global um, geopolitical, if you will, context. And we need to be very careful about that as African people. We, I, I think that these relationships, this is my personal opinion, I think all of these relationships need to be severed. People need to be put out we need to regroup, reorganize ourselves uh, to the point where, again, we, we, we reach a level of empowerment that, that is um, sustainable. And then we can have conversations about negotiating what we want or don't want, you know, in relationship to others um, on, on the planet. But there are no permanent friends uh, to Africa. History has shown us that. History and history has shown us that. And, you know, unfortunately, um, we, we see it playing out, as I mentioned, uh, today, uh, now more than ever across the continent. Yeah, and, and just kind of like an end point, I want to move on to another topic, is that a lot of times I've had conversations with people. So people will talk about, like, you know, what the Irish went through, um, you know, the Italians, various other groups. But the problem is that the magnitude of what happens to African people that were dispersed throughout this diaspora it's really no symmetry in that sort of conversation. Uh, if you look, because other groups, you had the benefit to fit into the mode, the modality of whiteness. So even if you came over as an Irishman or Italian, and you were oppressed in your country, you could come here and become a white man. And so you could just support yourself against black people and reap all of the benefits that were, were cultivated in the society off of the labor and toil of African people. And so whenever people are having these conversations about looking at all of these oppressed groups, it's kind of like we're supposed to have this agape love, but it's never reciprocated back. And like you said, you know, we have to have so, some semblance of unity and solidarity and empower 
before we can entertain those sorts of conversations because this is going to lead to perennial exploitation. Um, on this train of thought, this is something that I want to get your, your perspective on as an elder, as a scholar, as an activist. And this is something I've really seen amongst younger people. I don't know if you've encountered this, but it kind of worries me. Amongst a lot, a lot of younger, woke uh, black folks that I've, I've met, um, this is kind of new. It's not even a new idea, but it's more so this concept of history to say, hey, black people here in the Western Hemisphere, we're aboriginals, we're indigenous, we're not Africans. And the, the, the and I know, <laughs> believe it or not, this is something I'm encountering a lot, and that's why I bring it up to get, you know, astute perspectives on it. Uh, I've met young people where they're in, even certain rappers like Waka Flocka, I've came out and said, hey, I'm not African, don't connect me to that. My people come from the Cherokee or the Blackfoot or the Chickahominy or all these different groups that you could find, you know, up and down the Eastern Seaboard or into New England. And it worries me because I have people that legitimately are trying to say that the transatlantic slave trade was fabricated and that the numbers are nowhere. These are black people saying this. The numbers are nowhere near as large as what we've been told. And what they're saying is that um, people have came together to try to hide our history from us, that we're the real natives and that we're not African at all. And this whole movement seems to be catching a lot of momentum amongst young people. So my question is, have you encountered this sort of uh, perspective? And if so, um, what is your opinion on this whole thing about us not being Africans and the, the disconnect from West Africa? Why do you think that's becoming so popular amongst younger people? All right, well, there's a couple things I want to cover with that. I think I've already answered the question in terms of what my opinion is on it because I made it clear that my identity is African. There's no, there's, there's no conversation to have as far as I'm concerned in relationship to that. And yeah, I'm quite clearly aware of the nonsense, but there's always been nonsense. There's been nonsense before you and I were born and before the scholars that you, we, some of the ones that we've mentioned already before they were born. Uh, there's always been nonsense and confusion in order to keep us separated from the continent of Africa. So we, we're not confused about that. We, we're really clear. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's enough, enough misinformation. It doesn't take a lot in terms of misinformation for folks to be able to take that, if you will, and run with it. And that's part of what we're seeing at the present time. Uh, the question would simply be, well, where did the Cherokee and the Blackfoot and the others come from? If, you, if you're calling yourself indigenous in that context, which I think is, is stupidity, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment, um, then you have to ask the question, of course, how, what were their cultural influences? And if you don't know enough to be able to do, uh, to connect, excuse me, that history to where African people not only had influence in terms of shaping the cultures of the indigenous peoples within this hemisphere, um, you know, the so-called Americas, or misnamed Americas, I, at some point we got to get away from all of that too. Uh, but if we don't have enough information to be able to make those connections, then yeah, we get caught up in those conversations and think that they're intelligent conversations, but they really are not. Um, I call it stupidity because there's a simple factor that, you know, if we, for what all relative purposes, are, uh, have been misled in, in, in our identity, identification, excuse me, um, with African people and, and the falsification 
of our consciousness and, and, and identity is, is, a, is, mm. is a fallacy, as it's, yeah, it's a fallacy in and of itself, then the question is simply, at what point do we have comparable historical documentation that the perspective that they're sharing is, 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 is you know, is so, is accurate? Uh, where, why is it that we have thousands of years of scholars, quite literally, that we can point to with information that makes our transition from the continent to here quite clear, that tells that story in a very clear, very succinct manner. Uh, and, and that's regardless of where, again, we were dropped off in the world, whether it's here in the misnamed Americas, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in the Caribbean, um, wherever we were dropped off in the world, we're, we're very clear. There are historic, um, there are scholars, excuse me, and historians that have clear docu documented information about the origins of the people there. Where is that comparable information for those who claim, uh, you know, that we our, our origin, so to speak, starts here? So we have to put that in some sort of a context that makes a bit more sense. Uh, are there African, if you will, people who are likely indigenous to this land? Probably so. Because the reality is, is we traveled the world. Like, let's make you know, let, let, let's be real clear about this. We didn't, you know, just pop up here and all of a sudden everything springs from here. But the but that does not change the reality of our ancestors' captivity, which is what contributed to the majority of our people who exist here now, existing here, and the populations that were developed. We we weren't just here as a result of the 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 the, the small populace of Africans that we may be able to pretend, uh, point to, excuse me, uh, yeah. who we could consider indigenous, if you will, to this space. And I don't even know if that's even an appropriate term, because as I mentioned, our, our population of the world came about as a result of travel. Um, if we study Sheikh Ampajob, we're, we're really clear yeah. about what that what that those migrations look like in a number of different ways. Uh, certainly, to get to the Americas and, the, and even preceding that, of uh, the realities of the existence of Europeans in and of themselves. Um, again, this is all information we can struggle with. We can, you know, we can we can wrestle with it, so to speak, and we can dialogue over it. But make no mistakes about the historical record, be it written or oral, or, or in some other fashion, spiritual even. Uh, that we have that that points to our African identity, and we shouldn't be confused and and get ourselves too riled up about some of these conversations where folks, for whatever reason or another, they want to believe a lie. Yeah, and, and and I agree, especially if you're in a place like Richmond, considering the role of the dispersal of Africans out of Richmond being one of these centers after 1807, and there's so much history here that you can actually go and reference to disprove that. I guess what's, what's troubling to me is how so many young folks that aren't equipped with the proper information, aren't equipped with the proper scholarship or the, or the reputable scholars and able to really be able to know um, truly how, how the, the masses of us really came over here um, to this particular land. And the fact that it's a track of the young people, that's kind of something that um, I kind of fight against. You know, a lot of times older people seem to be a little bit more open to real concrete information uh, at times. And that's kind of been my experience. And my last uh, issue with this particular argument is that I feel like it's a spit in the face to what we've gone through via slavery. Like if you're trying to tell me that the transatlantic slave trade was overblown, if you're trying to tell me that 
we were already here and, and to dismiss the, the evidence, the uh, volumes of evidence to support the fact that this was a real event that happened to us. Um, it's self-hate, it's disrespect to our ancestors, and it's something I can't tolerate if you try to bring that up in my conversation. I have to smash that argument um, into pieces <laughs> personally. Uh, but I want to move on to a different topic. Uh, when I was looking at your bio and a lot of the work that you've done, uh, could you explain emotional emancipation healing circles? Uh, I've heard a little bit about that, but could you just definitely provide a little bit more uh, definition, if you will? Certainly, certainly, certainly. Um, I do want to make a statement, man, if I can, again, because you, you left us with some things that I feel is important to button up a little bit, uh, if, if, if you will. Um, it, it, again, I, and I don't, I, I am, in my lifetime, I guess I should say, I know my personality to be cursed in some way where, as I indicated, there's just some conversations I'm not going to entertain. At one point in time, I felt like what you did, I had to go out and smash everybody's, you know, lack of truth. I had to go out and, and, and destroy these arguments. And quite literally, I remember days that I would go and there's no need to call out different groups names but you know people would be along broad street or wherever people hung out and we would get into these ideological battles so to speak which you know were, were you know in hindsight probably more mental masturbation than edification of some sort yeah. but the final analysis is is I'm, I'm in a space now where i'm really clear that there's just some there's just some conversations i'm not going to engage in and you can believe whatever you want to believe as far as i'm concerned like like uh yeah. uh lawrence fishburne told what told the white boy in the matrix you know if you if you don't want to listen to what i'm saying cool you can wake up tomorrow you can tell yourself whatever story you need to tell yourself but in the final analysis we still have the responsibility of working towards our people's liberation and it is not going to come about uh with this confusion of 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 a of a, of a false identity and a false understanding of that connection to the, the history and the identity of, of mm -hmm. peoples within this country. We, it is without question that um, Africa is our home, and it is without question that our, um, uh, our the, the success, excuse me, of our liberation uh, will, will come in the total liberation and total unification of, of, of Africa and African people of the world over. Um, so back to to your to your latter question, um, let's see. Uh, I gotta I gotta think of how I want to back up, if you will, um, <laughs> with, with, with some of it. it you know, it, it, I think that one of the things that that I feel like I, I I feel like I'm learning or continuing to learn is that we also have to be uh, in control of the discourse, you know, that, that, that we engage, that, that uh, surrounds us. Like we have to really take an opportunity to evaluate those things that have become popularized in, for, for some uh, to be able to discuss in terms of what is, or to project, excuse me, what is or isn't important about us. And so the reason why the EECs are important is because we don't have circles of spaces, or I, I, maybe, maybe that's too expensive to say, but there are not many spaces or circles within which African people can come together solely as African people and deal with the actual issues that we've never really been able to um, receive uh, uh, therapy for, that we've never really been able to receive any kind of recognition or understanding of uh, that, that will help clarify some of the, the, the mental illness, 
some of the uh, disruptive behavior, some of the um, internal, not I'll say uh, inject what, but Baba Wakesama, the more you would call inscripted, excuse me, injected scripts of um, racism, white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And so the EECs are designed, they were designed by these, um, what do you call it, uh, Association of Black Psychologists to create these spaces for African people to come together and with the sole interest of being able to deal with just that, our literally, quite literally, our emotional emancipation. Um, they're not designed as study groups, they're not designed as uh, circles that expand into some other social or political action. Uh, they're, they're, they're solely spaces that where African people come together and it, 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 the, the model, if you will, is broken up into seven keys, which I can't state all of the keys verbatim, uh, but, what I, but ultimately what those key points, if you will, um, allude to are the fact that as we've been talking at least up to this point, we have to gain some sense of clarity about why it's important uh, for us to uh, change our thinking and perhaps even clean the lenses through which uh, we see our struggles, clean the lenses through which we see um, our existence and what is necessary or what would be necessary in order for us to liberate ourselves, in order for us to uh, change, the, again, the conditions of, of African people in a, in a mass context. And the, the, the circles, I, I can't pinpoint in my head right now uh, when it started, but in terms of Richmond, I was a part of one of the, the not one, but the uh, original cohort that was trained here uh, in order to train, you know, again, other folks in this process. And so, you know, we're still working on that in conjunction with uh, some of the other things that I think that are important uh, for us to address in terms of issue-oriented um, struggle, mm -hmm. but the EECs remain a, 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 a platform, at least from my opinion, uh, through which we can take the opportunity to talk of each other, talk about those things, those traumatic uh, responses, the, um, the impact, if you will, excuse me, of those traumatic responses, the impact of the uh, continued, um, there's a term that's used currently, urban uh, trauma that we face. And, and how far the purposes we develop the resilience um, and the resistance to be able to overcome those uh, conditions. Uh, listening to you just now, it made me think about our, our, our powerful sister, uh, Dr. Joy DeGry, um, when she talks about the uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome. And to me, I want to ask you this. When we talk about the edification of our people, when we talk about upliftment, when we talk about liberation, we'll mention everything. We'll mention economics, we'll mention, you know, studying the history, we'll mention uh, conversations, dialogue that we can have as it relates to community activist groups. But when I look at, uh, you know, I came across her work a few years back, and when I look at her work, and she talks about the multi-generational psychological trauma that we've acquired um, being un being in this particular under this particular paradigm, and we really had no real catharsis to release or be able to heal that psychological trauma. Let me ask you this: um, When you're talking about liberation and healing of African peoples, is is addressing mental health part of that conversation? 
Um, and if so, if it is, where where does the how do we go about um, solving? Well, not even solving, but really addressing the preponderance of uh, mental health issues that we require just living under the system. When you look at the systemic poverty, the mass incarceration, and all of the stresses that it produces on us, and then the fact too that we kind of have a negative connotation against going and seeking uh, therapy or addressing our mental health issues. Uh, it feels like, to me, when you're talking about healing African people, you have to address the mental health aspect. Um, do you see that as part of, or one of the tools of liberation, addressing mental health in our community? Oh, without question. I mean, it's a part of what we need to heal and repair or fix uh, in the context of, 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 of us being whole people or returning to a whole state. Uh, our empowerment certainly doesn't come about with, with without it. Um, it and, and just for clarity, I got a this sister's name is the group. Um, I apologize. Uh, um, no, 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 no. It, it, it's not. That wasn't. That wasn't to correct you, but to inform others who, who will be listening, just so that oh, yeah, uh, as yeah. they continue on in their study, they'll they'll, they'll have you know a, a point. And it informed me as well. <laughs> So yes, mental health is without question a part of it. I think that oftentimes we're really not clear about what it means in order to be able to uh, strengthen our mental health. I am I'm a I'm also an instructor for what's called mental health first aid, which is uh, you know I mean it, it's it's like like most of these uh, 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 interventions that that, that we uh, engage in, it has its white background, you know, if you will. But the reality is, is that in the context of, of, of acknowledging and recognizing those things that, that, that need to be addressed uh, for what's happening with us psychologically, it doesn't provide a framework. I mean, we don't have a framework, excuse me, that's been developed for that in the general context of our daily living. And so that's, that's part of what I was referring to in terms of why the EECs were established. However, we, we, I feel like it's important for us to take that much, much further because our mental health is a lot more, or, or I should say um, repairing our mental health incorporates a lot more than just our understanding of the quote-unquote um, DSM-5 or whatever the latest version of it is now and all of the listed diseases, if you will, that happens. We have to take it from a context of what you even alluded to from the very beginning of this conversation, and that is understanding the damage, understanding what has happened to us as African people and what we've undergone to get to a point where it may seem like, for all relative purposes, we're adhering to these systemic inequities, we're adhering to these conditions of oppression, we're adhering to these things that we know keep us in a state of powerlessness, and exploitation, but for whatever reason or another, we act like, you know, uh, uh, everything's good, or as we say, it's all good, you know, in the hood. And that's just the reality that we really need to break through and break past. Um, when when it comes to dealing with mental health, from a perspective, from, from, I guess, from my own uh, vantage point, I, I look at what we undergo, particularly as African men, and, and, and this is, again, not this is not a conversation about uh, who suffers the most, African men versus African women? I, there's unquestionably um, there's, there's 
Fargo that we have to deal with in terms of the, the impact of oppression and the impact of the aftermath of uh, the psychological damage that has happened to us uh, with, uh, with African women. That, that needs to be dealt with, but it also needs to be dealt with through and by African women, you know, in the forefront of, of that exploration. And I would argue the same thing should happen with us as African men. Yeah. But when I just think about the reality of how, you know, we, we engage the world, uh, the lens through which we engage the world, the, the confidence through which we engage the world, the discipline that we lack or establish in yeah. the context of the things that we um, engage in, you know, again, in relationship to the rest of society, uh, and, 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 and the way that we even have become disconnected and distrustful, um, all of those things are remnants, if you will, of the, um, the, 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 the um, need for improvement in terms of our psychological health, or psychic health. But there's another element that I think that is important for us to in introduce here, and we've got to understand that mental health or psychic health from a world context is grandly different than what it means for us as African people. Mm. Um, I'm becoming, <laughs> I'm becoming, I don't explain what I mean by that, but I'm becoming, I think, a lot more of what, what, what people are utilizing this term Afro-pessimist uh, in, in these days as I think through, you know, my, 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 my um, Pan-African ideological, uh, you know, grounding and background or foundation. And what I mean by that is, is that we've got to understand, as we were talking a little bit earlier, that our relationship to the rest of the world um, is, is very different. And I don't say that just to be, you know, um, to, to, you know I don't know, to, to, to create some sort of um, yeah. uh, energy in a way that doesn't, that's not warranted. The rest of the world's psychic health, you should, you should study definitely uh, Dr. Frank Wilderson's work and there's a, a, a wealth of the latest scholars that he constantly references that I think that will, will help shape our understanding of this. But um, the rest of the world's psychic health depends, quite literally depends, on our lack of being incorporated into the realm of humanity and a lack of our recognition mm -hmm. as being human beings. In other words, uh, these identities that we assume as, as, as people that, that keep us um, divided, fearful, and conquered. I mean, and um, yeah, divided, uh, fearful, and ignorant. Uh, excuse me about who we are and in what ways uh, we need to navigate the world. It's important for the rest of the world uh, to remain sane in order for us to, to see us in that form of fashion. So the moment that we break that, it, it, it disrupts their um, ability for other purposes to grasp a sense of. Um, a value for uh, how they then in turn see themselves. And so it, that spills over into the conversation we were having earlier where we were talking about quote unquote friends of African people. Uh, even if we choose to get in solidarity with, with other groups, we can't be naive enough to believe that at the point that we reach some sort of um, measured empowerment that these other groups won't take the opportunity to turn as history has already shown us uh, against us in, in that moment. And so we have to be prepared for those things and, and really just understand and be clear that, you know, when we're not moving uh, through uh, life, through the, the history that we're creating right now uh, with 
the end game or the end goal of creating this, you know, hand-holding kumbaya, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, reality in terms of uh, a utopian existence. No, for me, I'm always African interest first. I'm considered in absolutely everything that I do and the way that I approach the world. And if we, and, and if I don't do that, or if I can't uh, do that, then I, I think that we, if I pay myself into a critical corner uh, from which it'll be almost impossible uh, to, to get ourselves out of, if, we, if, if we're seriously talking about um, changing the conditions that, that, have, uh, that have devastated us for, for so many um, uh, generations. Yeah, you know, that, that is a really interesting perspective because the, from what, what I extrapolated from what you just said, it's almost as the, the, the mental health of all, all uh, other non-African peoples is almost this kind of diametrically opposed situation where we have to be in a state of without or lacking for their state to be sufficient. Um, and kind of like, uh, it's almost like a parasitic relationship that's kind of you know how I interpreted just now, but I want to ask you something back to the initial point, um, and this is my own experience, and I'm gonna speak personally for myself and other brothers that I know. There seems to be a lot of trepidation. Brother, I must apologize. I gotta gotta pause you real quick, brother, because. Okay, I, okay. I didn't even get deep into the question. Let me go ahead and repeat it. Am I back? Am I good? Yeah. Okay. Essentially, there seems to be a lot of trepidation amongst black men to admit that they, they need uh, help as far as like getting therapy, mental health. But I'm going to be honest, I'm the same way. Um, and even I remember growing up, you would hear you would hear a lot of brothers and sisters say, oh, that's white people stuff to go seek a therapist. You know, we, we know how to you know, man it up and suck it up and handle it on our own. And I want to ask you, where do you think that comes from where it almost seems as if there's shame to saying, hey, I might need to go and see a therapist or I'm having mental health issues. Uh, why do you think that's so preponderant uh, amongst us, especially amongst black men when I have these conversations? I mean, man, so we have to look at all of the ills that we face and many of the uh, contradictions within ourselves in the context of how we are impacted by, you know, racism and assumed white supremacy. We, we've got to be real clear about what role that actually played in developing our psyches to the point where we see uh, taking care of our mental health, if you will, as a detriment as opposed to something that's needed. So you know this is this is this is a circumstance that certainly is no exception, uh, particularly for men of African descent. And I want to pause this for a second because you froze up on me again. Yeah, you you just froze up on me. Okay, you're good. You're good. Can you see me? Am I still freezing up? Okay, cool, cool. Okay. Okay. No, 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 no. You seem to be fine. I just didn't know if that meant that you weren't hearing me either. So I'll go back just a little bit. Um, well, no, I can still hear you. You just froze up the, the picture, but I could hear everything you were saying. Oh, okay. Well, great, yeah. great, 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 great. Yeah. So then in the context of, you know, this, like I said, this is absolutely no exception. Uh, when 
we deal with the circumstance of, of and, and, I, and I would say that it, it's not unique to brothers, but certainly where brothers are uh, uh, um, maybe not fearful, but definitely reticent to, to seek uh, mental health, uh, you know, if you will, um, support in whatever way, shape, or form that, that shows itself. We have to go back and think about the condition and the reality of, of well, well, what happened in terms of the deconstruction and the breakdown of our psychological indigenous psyches to begin with uh, at one point in time to even uh, the suggested issue for us to want to escape our circumstances of captivity. Uh, that, that is that it was quite literally uh, a law on the book that suggested that um, if a person was trying to run away from the plantation, that they then in turn were, were absolutely, you know, were in, in some sense insane. Uh, oh, true, it's mania. A, a mental health issue. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm glad you brought the word up because I was leading to that. But like I said, I wanted to try to keep uh, things clear and, and, and as concise or simple as possible for some uh, to, to, to be able to follow up on. But yeah, uh, drapetomania was, was, a, was, was quote unquote a, a, a recognized mental health condition. And so just think about the ridiculousness of that. Think about the nonsense in relationship to that. There's no real science whatsoever involved. There's no real um, psychological, analytical, anything you know, attributed to that. It was just merely uh, confusion and nonsense that was put out by those in, who were controlling interests, those who were in power, in order to continue to try to um, maintain control of, of our thinking and our, and our um, ability, if you will, to break through those, those barriers in terms of um, our, the optimal psychic health. So you, you fast forward you know, to a current context um, where if we showed any type of um, emotional pain or we showed any type of, um, but yeah, I'll just leave it at that, emotional pain in relationship to how we were encountering these conditions of uh, the captivity of our, of our ancestors at the time. Uh, you know, as, as, as I'm pretty sure many of the rest of us do, we were beaten and we suffered like horrible consequences, uh, you know, throughout. Some people had parts of their brains that were taken out. Some people had, you know, these fake lobotomies. Uh, you know, people were beaten, um, uh, you know, castrated, all other kinds of things that have, again, no real connection to any real science, no real connection to anything that had anything to do with trying to improve the condition of the person. It was really just, uh, um, a, a lot of horrible consequences, unfortunately, uh, that were were maintained um, in, in order to be able to keep, keep us broken, if you will, as a people. You fast forward that, as I mentioned, excuse me, to the current context. Um, there, a lot of, there is some of this reticence resides in our DNA. Um, it resides there because we understand uh, it, it's kind of multifold. I don't want to suggest that this is the only reason for it. Um, but, you know, it resides in our DNA where, one, we're, we're looking to avoid the pain and con that comes with the consequences of expressing, you know, that, uh, that um, emotional discord or uh, it, 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 uh, it, it furthers to a point where um, we have these fake identities around what masculinity is and what it means in order to be um, engaged in the, the, the practice, if you will, of being a man. Uh, yeah. All of this uh, comes from the, the, the same 
uh, pseudo uh, white dominant um, patriarchal uh, modes of thinking that, that, that we've been conditioned with. And so mm -hmm. there's different layers as to why that is at a present context. But we, but we also, like I said, we've always got to take it back to, to the source of, of, um, of, of our destruction at a, at a, at again, at least in a um, historical level. Not, not, obviously, we're not destroyed as a people because we are here. We we've been resilient and we, you know, we've survived. But we, we've got to take everything back to that source and then kind of deconstruct it, if you will, from there in order to be able to understand uh, what we're going through right now. And the largest part of that, if you will, if I can add one more thing, is the fact that we have been so heavily uh, culturally misoriented as, as uh, Nana Kobe Kambon, uh you know, taught us, uh, that, that cultural misorientation helped further the thinking that, you know, it's, it's, it's for all residual purposes, it's against our interest to be concerned uh, or to, to prioritize our psychic or our mental health um, in the context of all of these things that we pursue, whether we're pursuing liberation or whether we're pursuing, you know, uh, the, the, you know, getting the bag, if you will, uh, in order to be able to survive it all, um, you know, comes back around to the fact that, that we've been, we've been, as people used to say, brainwashed uh, yeah. and conditioned uh, into these, to these modes and responses, if you will, to the world around us. And uh, uh, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about your activism as it relates to mass incarceration. Um, I know uh, from my research that I think in 2016 you were working with the uh, New Virginia Majority and you guys were working to uh, restore voting rights uh, to formerly incarcerated peoples. And what I want to ask, this is kind of a comparison, a crude comparison that I've had. I liken the, trans the slave trade's impact on Africa to over centuries rather because you know we're talking about centuries here to the crack cocaine epidemics impact on the black family movement to a degree mm -hmm. and the reason why i say that is because when you look at um the, the 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 amount of people that were taken out of africa it had horrible effects on those societies and the people that were still there um that you can still see till this day and what i want to ask you when you look at uh for one definitely please talk about your work uh, with the New Virginia majority as, as it relates to mass incarceration and restoring voter rights, please. Um, but also, what are some of the impacts of mass incarcerations, mass incarceration uh, on the black community that we may not be cognizant of and we, not, we may not be actually talking about? Uh, what are some of those impacts that we, we, you see uh, on a day-to-day -day basis uh, with your work? So uh, I just want to, I think it's important for me to, to separate and clarify. I will not give uh, New Virginia majority the privilege of associating my, any of my work <laughs> with what I was doing. At Ooh, the time okay. I was employed with them. I, so I just, I need to, I need to put that out there. I, I, I won't. Um, we have such a very distinct difference in terms of uh, my reason for stopping my work with them was because we have very distinct differences in terms of understanding what it took and what was important with regard to organizing our people, which I had been doing already for decades before I even knew that they existed. Um, and so I felt that it was, um, you know, important for, as I mentioned to you earlier, there's some conversations I'm just not going to have. Uh, yeah. I don't really, you know, care to, to, to get into any more detail than that. So, uh, 
however, the work that I was doing in terms of what we, you know, at least that under the guise of ending mass incarceration and, and I would argue reforms in relationship to the criminal legal system was happening before I came in contact with that organization. Yet, nonetheless, um, the work that I was doing in particular was really trying to, was, was really me being strategic in attempting to find ways to be able to move the needle or as uh, we used to say, Kwame used to say, Kwame uh, Ray, that is, uh, to push people further and further to the left, as far as, as, far to the left as possible uh, on certain issues. And which was to set the seed or sow the seed uh, for community members who then become politically educated, who then become organized uh, in a way to be able to develop agendas that we need to um, to, to liberate ourselves and to, to, to change uh, the conditions within our communities and, and to empower our communities and to improve or enhance uh, the, the um, opportunities, excuse me, within those communities. Um, it was really, it, it, it's always been a strategy centered around that. So I, I want to just kind of put that out there first and foremost, uh, that you know my, my engagement in many of these reform efforts has really only been um, a matter of strategy in terms of sowing seeds to push us further and further towards the revolutionary objective, whether they work or whether they don't work and we realize that we need to move to another level in terms of our strategies to, to, to then in terms of affect our conditions. But with that said, in terms of your question, in terms of with regard to uh, things with regard to mass incarceration in particular and its, and its impact in the current context, you know, I think that the challenge is, is that folks don't recognize that on the one hand, these conditions that we have identify, uh, where, we, where we identify people as criminals, where we call certain behavior and certain um, activities criminal, where um, we've even developed a, a, a means of defining crime, uh, right? We, we, we do this in a manner that we are often unaware of how um, those conditions for what the impetus for those uh, behaviors or so-called crimes are in the first place. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we, some people kind of misinterpret this and, 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 and it'll, it will require far more than what I think we could do to break it down uh, to a just level of a full understanding. But people make a, a very um, loose association with the existence of poverty and crime, you know, as, as if poverty in and of itself is a root cause which, you know, in, in some conversations you can have, perhaps that's a true statement. But the reality is, is it's much deeper than just the existence of poverty. It's the reality that there is a disconnect in terms of what the family structure and for all relative purposes, what the community structure looks like. And with the absence, with the massive absence of African people started out with African men, which is now, you know, the, the rates of, of, of African women, you know, have, have also um, uh, 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 gone much higher uh, over over the years, over the decades, uh, and, and in terms of their incarceration, and then the, the, the age, the, the, the younger um, our people are becoming incarcerated and pulled into this uh, wicked system, uh, we, we have to uh, take into consideration that these, this massive removal of African men, of African women, of, of African youth, 
uh, from our communities not only furthers the breakdown and the disruption of, of the African family and, and for all relative purposes, African people as a whole, but it speaks very specifically to the um, to support, I'm sorry, excuse me, the, 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 the uh, racist and ridiculous policies that have been put in place in order to keep people, keep our people in particular, suppressed in a particular way. So if you don't create these conditions of quote-unquote mass incarceration, then, you know, uh, slick-tongued Joe Biden can't come back to us um, whatever this is, 20 odd years later, and sell or suggest that for whatever reason or another, he's going to be the savior of, of um, removing these, these, these racist policies and racist conditions that uh, African people find themselves under when it comes to uh, conditions of being arrested, conditions of being incarcerated, and the uh, collateral consequences of, of, of that incarceration, or, or just that being pulled into the criminal legal system in and of itself. Uh, when at one point in time he championed these policies, and I'm not inclined to believe that he still does it. That's just my personal opinion. Um, it's, it's more than my personal opinion. I've, I've got uh, information and political uh, uh, continuity, if you will, about yeah. him to back it up. But ultimately, the point is: so when you remove, you know, a people in mass, it makes it, it 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 makes it easier to to maintain the conditions of control in certain aspects. And then you control the conditions in terms of which they live, which, as I mentioned a little earlier, uh, you can go into someone's home, you know, and take control. You can dis mistreat and disrespect them wherever you see them. And so we've already gone into the home and removed African men, or to the degree that we've developed this sense of doing so for African women. And now we're creating these these conditions. Excuse me, exist where um, African families. Uh, are existing in a mode of survival that only plays into the hands of the conditions that create an environment for which we have to make decisions that they have deemed or, or defined as criminal. Um, yeah. It even defines the kind of crime that a person can so-called be uh, engaged in. And this is also something that uh, Nana Amos Wilson taught us, for example, where um, you know we, we talk about uh, young African men, uh, you know, in, in the streets, if you will, uh, busting somebody upside the head, trying, you know, to get money or whatever the case is. Well, yeah, if you if you if you taught that if they were all taught to be accountants, then they would change the level and the condition of the type of crime in which the person could, you know, be engaged in. But you you sure. kind of created a circumstance where the, if if that is the aim and objective, which which is everybody's quote unquote objective under the, the so-called American white way. Everybody wants to have their house, you know, their white one with the picket fence and all that other crap. Well, you know, you, you've created a specific set of social conditions under which um, you've already told me that I am worthless and that I am not valued as a human being. You've also, on top of that, you've limited the opportunities for me to be able to advance myself in any kind of a way beyond uh, the structure of, of, of identifying myself or be as being potentially recognized, because we're still not really fully recognized, but potentially recognized um, as a human being. And you've taken away uh, the ability to be able to utilize the so-called education as a means to uh, resolve the issues that are occurring, you know, within my people and within our communities. And so you compound all of those things, you know, the, the, the sister or the brother on the street, who, who wants no more than any other person in society wants in terms of being able to see uh, themselves 
at a level of, of, of comfort, if you will, and sustenance that, that they don't have to struggle um, in the ways that unfortunately that we have to, that we that we find ourselves having to do. And so, you know, again, if, if, if these same young sisters and brothers were accountants, then you would change the type of quote unquote crime that they'd be you know, engaged in. Then they would, you know, they, 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 they could, you know, quote unquote, as, as uh, uh, Dr. Amos, I mean, not Amos Wilson said, you could rob people by books instead of, um, you know, busting them upside the head. And so all of these things are factors in terms of understanding uh, why it was important uh, for the, 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 those in power within these systems to um, incarcerate us in mass, but to really be able to remove us physically, remove our bodies physically uh, from one circumstance and into the next. I, I could go on because there, there, there's so many other layers that I think that are important, but ultimately, I think that, that, that what's key, if, if nothing else, is folks need to understand that in order to reverse this, we gotta do far more than just legislate ourselves out of it. If we don't create the conditions by which we start to figure out ways to resolve issues between us on our own that, you know, can circumvent the so-called criminal legal system, uh, mm -hmm. we don't uh, come up with ways to be able to deal with the issues and the conflicts that, that arise within our communities, then we'll keep seeing ourselves subject to having to adhere to the, the path, if you will, that, that's created by this cultural system. Um, for the people that's going to listen to this, do you have any good record? If they wanted to kind of expand their knowledge about mass incarceration, do you have any good readings or, or scholars that they should look into? Man, okay, so here's where there'll be a small contradiction for me because there will, yes, that's the answer to that I've got. I mean, there's a million books. Like, there's, there's a book about pretty much everything that you really want to know anything about, but there are actually some um European writers who I will include uh, in this because I think that the way that they deconstruct some of the things that are important to understand when it comes to um, the impact of, of mass incarceration on African people, uh, it becomes critical to see it from the lens of the, um, those who uh, are, are classified, if you will, in the group of the, of the dominant, uh, quote unquote, assumed dominant group. Uh, as well as understanding uh, even more clearly what that should mean for us in terms of uh, our interpretation, if you will, of the, the, the lens for which, for, for the why, the how, and the root causes of, 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 of the systemic reality. And so, uh, of course, if nothing else, I think everybody should read uh, Michelle, Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, which you know, it, 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 it's a pretty straightforward, pretty, uh, I, I don't want to say simplistic, but it's a pretty straightforward analysis of well, what I only alluded to in this conversation, uh, taking us from the point of uh, the, uh, if you will, enslavement of African people, uh, the connections between the development of the structures of this criminal legal system from the police itself and the, you know, the existing legal structures into you know a modern context where we're looking at the reality that um, uh, African people, African people, and other ethnicities and nationalities that are, that don't classify themselves as white uh, now make up the majority of people across the country who are incarcerated. Where this country, in and of itself, of course, incarcerates uh, over 2.5 million or nearly 3 million at this point. Um, 
which is uh, larger than, significantly larger than any other country, like quite literally in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, she breaks all of that stuff down in a way that I think is easy to understand. I actually think, while it may not seem to be an immediate match, that the book that you alluded to earlier, uh, Dr. Joy DeGruz, uh, Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome, becomes important because in order to understand why, uh, for all other purposes, uh, the persons in power who have created these conditions of being able to extract our young men and our young women from our communities, we have to understand uh, what it is that happens with us uh, psychologically, uh, not in, in, in a both uh, um, a, a, a real-time context and a, um, collat- a post-context in terms of the collateral consequences of what being incarcerated ends up doing for us in a physical way that in turn impacts our, our, our psyche and the psyches and mentality um, from having uh, come out of the condition of enslavement and, and its, and its um, I'll say, current day existence incarceration, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Indeed. Um, so I would make sure, I, I would make sure that, that that book is included. There's another book called by, uh, this is one of the European writers that I was referring, referring to, uh, Daniel Sered, uh, entitled Until We Reckon. Um, we'll go into a whole detailed analysis of it, but ultimately what she does there is create the space for Europeans to not only understand uh, the, the the impact and consequences, if you will, of, of, of the current model for quote unquote pursuing public safety and justice and how it doesn't work, but she also creates, uh, gives you guidance, if you will, in terms of models for which the early, what I, what I alluded to earlier in terms of our communities figuring out, well, what do we want to do in terms of dealing with these conflicts, or what do we want to do in terms of uh, the pursuit of justice uh, from, you know, from meeting our own interests and putting our own interests first. She lays out some things that I think are really valuable models um, to to consider in relationship to that. Um, uh, There's another book that I cannot think of the author of at the moment, but the book is entitled A Plague of Prisons. And what that book does, I think, uh, effectively is it makes the case that uh, mass incarceration, if you will, is a public health crisis, which, you know, with which I don't unquestionably agree. Um, I mean, and it breaks down an analysis, if you will, of how to deconstruct uh, what we see in terms of the conditions that, that lead to mass incarceration, of course, everything from what people are accustomed to referring to in terms of the cradle to prison pipeline, all the way through to um, uh, the, the, the the quote unquote uh, drug wars uh, that have you know plagued our people uh, since the 70s, and, and and I would argue at different points in history, but nonetheless, uh, how those things uh, deconstruct those things, excuse me, in a manner to understand them from a public health lens, and and how we can then apply. Uh, theories and practices uh, from a public health standpoint to be able to, in turn, you know, uh, change the conditions, if you will, uh, that, that that allow that those systemic um, realities to 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 maintain a stranglehold, <laughs> um, if you will, on our people. And so those are those are four that that come to mind in an immediate context. Uh, I would lo- I'd be happy to send you a, a larger list, a much much longer list, 
if, if needed, that you want to share with me. Definitely. And I can give you a little bit more detail um, about them uh, in the context of writing that down and doing it as well. Definitely. Um, well, look, we, uh, definitely we're going to uh, wrap up here. And, and I want to thank you for, one, uh, elucidating a lot of these concepts about the systemic injustices, uh, talking about our history, talking about um, how certain things like an African identity looks in a modern context. I think these are uh, invaluable um, lessons and information that's definitely, you know, it helped me so far in this podcast and it's going to help enlighten and uh, put things into perspective for the people that listen to this. Uh, how can people follow you um, if they're interested in kind of keeping up with the work that you're doing? Uh, how can they find you on social media? Well, if you're trying to follow me, you're not going to do it on social media. If you're trying to follow me, I need to see you out in the street. I need to see you in our people's communities. I need to see you in organizations that are working to alleviate our people's suffering. That's the way to follow me. If you're trying to do it on social media, you're going to get, you know, a bunch of pictures and maybe some words that, that might be of value here or there, but it won't, it won't lead you to following much of anything in authenticity because I, don't, I, I, I intentionally don't maintain that type of presence. Um, I, well, I mean, I'm saying if, uh, I, if I'm in Oregon and I listen to this podcast, I'm like, this brother said a lot of heavy stuff. Um, you know, does he have like YouTube or any information that I can, if I'm not in the immediate area? No, 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 I understand. I, I understood, I understood, you know, from the beginning. I guess that's just, for me, that's just important to point out. Um, I, the only thing that I have in terms of a social media presence is a Facebook page. And mm -hmm. if a person is genuinely interested in getting in contact with me, you can certainly reach out to me, you know, there. Um, I, as far as uh, asking any questions, um, I, I can also give an email address through which to reach me, um, which is simply my name. It's Aman Shabazz at Yahoo.com. Uh, you can reach me there with any kinds of questions uh, based on what you've heard in this podcast, and I'd be happy to uh, respond and we can establish you know, whether we need to talk uh, via telephone or some other means from there. But um, I am redeveloping my work, my website currently for Maximum Impact. Uh, the, the information on, unfortunately, on the Maximum Impact website is outdated. And so it's, it, it, it won't give you a whole lot in terms of being able to connect with me. But if you're interested in just being able to see uh, a, a glimpse, if you will, or a list of some of the things that we offer through the organization, you know, you'll certainly be able to see that. And I would ask that if, 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 again, to disregard the contact information there, but to reach me either through the email that I just gave, again, Aman Shabazz, that's I-M-A-N-S-H-A-B-A-Z-Z at yahoo.com. Or if you absolutely need to reach me by phone, I can be reached at 804 394 um, and leave a message for me there and, and I'll reconnect with someone as well. But I will be updating, I will have an updated site, excuse me, uh, up and running, uh, hopefully by the um, uh, beginning of April. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I'm on track to have those things in place by that point and, and folks can get further information so to speak in that regard. But outside of that, uh, you gotta catch me in the street. There you go. Listen, uh, brother, um, once again, it is a deep honor to have you on. I I'm glad that you decided to take time out of your schedule to converse with me today. Uh, this is going to be a lot of powerful information for people, a lot of uh, empowering 
uh, information as well. So I deeply, deeply thank you. Um, and this has been a privilege and I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that everybody, you know, shares this when, when they see this on Wednesday. Comment. The brother gave you his contact information if you want to work with him, you know, you want to meet up or what have you. Um, it's definitely uh, needed. And this brother is definitely a paragon of wisdom uh, here uh, in the Richmond area, a person that I consider a legend um, as well. So I definitely thank you. And um, this has been episode 58 of No Truths Barred. And make sure you're following me uh, on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, the YouTube channel is up as well. So make sure you follow me on all of those. And once again, much love. Take care and peace. This has been episode 58 of No Truths Barred. And if you enjoy the content and you support the platform, make sure that you tell your friends and family about the No Truths Barred podcast. Click a like button, share some of the content, and make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Take care, thank you, and peace.